0: This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by
1: whoscored.com. Hello, welcome back to Edge of the Box, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with BetVictor. Victor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined as ever by Jonathan Wilson. And with the managerial merry-go-round in full swing, we got rid of Lawrence as well. And Josh Wright from Whoscored has come in for this week to have a chat with us. Josh, you're going to start with England's top 10 player rankings in 2021. No messing around. Straight into the show. No small talk. England had 19 matches in this year, which seems like quite a lot. Um, it started with San
0: Marino and ended with San Marino. Uh, their only defeat, unfortunately, was the, the Euro finals to Italy. Um, and we've compiled a list of the top 10 rated players based on their their performances for England. Um, so I'll just run through that in reverse order. So in 10, it's Bakaya Sacco then Jack Grealish, Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice, Mason Mount, Phil Foden, Luke Shaw, Raheem Sterling, Harry Maguire and Harry Kane. Just a little bit more about some of those players. Uh, largely helped by this international break. Harry Kane finished with 16 goals for England this calendar year, breaking his own record for for, for goals in a calendar year. Um, and Harry Maguire, who loves scoring for England... He has as many goals for England across his last 13 matches as he does in 120 games for Manchester United. Only Kane scored more goals than him uh, in 2021. And I think uh, United fans would like to see him hit the target a bit more often for for United.
1: Now the algorithm must have gone into overdrive, Jonathan, with Harry Kane scoring four against San Marino. I don't know what rating we, we would have been looking at, but yeah, the algorithm must have been playing in overtime. Well,
2: it's interesting that he, you know, a third of his England goals have come this year. I knew he'd got a games. lot Yeah, games. Yeah, I mean, 19 games is a lot. You're right. The other, the other um, player that stands out there is Phil Foden, who my sense had been up until... Yeah, I thought he was really good against Andorra, and I thought he was really good against Albania uh, and San Marino, for what that's worth. Uh, but I sort of thought he hadn't really performed for England uh, up until that last sort of month or so. So it's interesting. He was, was he, what, fifth in the list? Uh, yeah, yes,
0: he was, college,
1: he, was, yeah. he was fifth, yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I'm surprised that he comes out that high. So, so maybe maybe I'm misremembering some of the games before the Euros.
1: I thought Saka might be higher at ten. He seems. I feel like he's played well every time he's played for England. I don't know how I many games it, he's played, but
2: uh, in, in, for some
0: players, it's substitute appearances will just ha- will just like harm their rating. Like okay. Jack, Jack Grealish hasn't really started any games for England, um, or not that many. Uh, and like the same with Saka. So that, so substitute appearances do harm. Their, it's obviously harder to get a good rating when you play
1: like twenty minutes or so. Was John Stones in there? Or did I completely miss it? Miss his name? No, he. Who I wasn't? think he was. I think he was eleventh. Because uh, okay. I but thought yeah, he was I, England's best players, player. in the Euros.
0: I had to triple check how many game, how many games we did play because I don't know if it's a record, but nineteen in a year seems must it seems be a record. That
2: yeah,
1: must yeah, be that's
2: huge. I mean, I know before the World Cup in '66, England played. A whole, I think they must have played eight or nine games before the World Cup in '66. So they went this tour of Scandinavia just before the tournament scandinavian finished in poland um so when, when you look at that 66 is this whole raft of games i don't know how many they played after but they, they might have been able to sort of 17 18 and
1: 66. i mean they've got the extra games because of because of covid and squeezing everything in but also we don't get to a final very often so that probably that adds, the, adds the games on as well doesn't it so yeah interesting Interesting stuff. We will move on and preview the Premier League weekend in just a second. But, Josh, just come to you again. How are the giveaways going?
0: Uh, yeah, so, so for those who aren't familiar with the giveaways, um, we've teamed up with the podcast sponsors, BetVictor, to try and give away some free bet bonuses each week. Um, so every game week, we select one player who we think will have shots from outside the box. And each time they do, BetVictor have agreed to give away five £10 bet bonuses. Um, so Ronaldo was our pick last week during the international break. Um, he had one shot from outside the box against Ireland. So, Bet Victor ended up giving away five £10 bet bonuses. So, that's £50 in total, but to five across five separate winners. Um, so, this is the fifth week this giveaway has been running, um, and we've given away three bets each week so far. Uh, we've selected side Ben Rama this week against Wolves. And he's had at least one shot from outside the box in seven of his eight Premier League matches and has had 18 in total in that time. So all you need to do to enter is to comment Ben Rama in the comment section of this YouTube video or retweet the specific post that will come out on Twitter on the day of the game to be in for a chance to win. Um, You have to be 18 and over to be eligible for the giveaway. Uh, But so just to repeat that, every time Ben Rama has a shot from outside the box against Wolves, um, BetVictor will dish out five separate £10 bet bonuses to lucky winners. So if he goes trigger happy from outside the box, then... There could be a lot of winners this
1: weekend. Well done, Bet Victor. Nice little thing going on there. Let's look at Leicester Chelsea then to begin with. Martin's done the script, I believe. I'm not sure I agree with this first bullet point, Jonathan. Oh, he's hopeless, isn't he? Are uh, he's useless. <laughs> Leicester struggling to juggle the Europa League and the league. I'm not sure about that. They've got a relatively big squad now. I know they've had injuries, but I don't feel like the Europa League is affecting them. I feel like just getting a team out might be affecting them. Yeah, I, mean,
2: I have to say, when I saw that in the script, that was, that was my reaction. Maybe yeah, yeah. they are struggling to juggle it. I don't know. But the, the bigger problem is they've just had loads of injuries and loads of injuries to key players, especially Fafana. I think he's the one they really, really, really miss. Uh, I mean, they they do have... and They still have four players definitely out So Fafana, Albright and Justin and Bertrand definitely out, and Telemans is, is, is a doubt. Um, I still don't think that Ndidi is is fully fit uh, following his his knee surgery in January last year. I don't think he's ever quite got back to the form he was in before that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's the injuries that have really hammered him. Not just this season, but the end of last season.
1: I suppose in the midfield as well, they got Samara trying to get himself ready for the Premier League, trying to adapt to the Premier League. Josh,
2: well, and... I, I thought he was really good against United. Samara, a player I didn't know a huge amount about, I was really impressed by him that game against United.
1: Yeah, I've, Arsenal. I watched him, and I, I didn't think he was he was that great. But it's a one game, and any, anyone can have a bad game. It's probably the but defense... well,
2: equally anyone can have a good game. So that's
1: true. Yeah, that, that yeah. is true. It's probably the, the defense is where the problems are. Josh, if Johnny Evans doesn't play. They they never really look the same. I'm not convinced Vestergaard is as good as some people say he is either. You know, we're playing with that back three. and Marty seems to get a lot of football. I think it's the defence where the problem is, and if you're struggling at the back, the rest of the team's going to suffer.
0: Like I don't want to use the Europa League as an excuse, but I don't like when you're not playing great, which Leicester aren't. Um, long trips to places like Russia and Poland they're, they're not they're not ideal. Um, I mean that probably gives Rogers like one day to prepare for the next league game. Um, and Leicester have actually failed to win three of their four matches directly after European games this season.
1: But Martin, Martin had a point then.
0: But but well, they didn't. They haven't done too well before those games either. But it's interesting because they juggled the Europa League quite well last season. Um, they had eight Europa League games in total, and they won their next game directly after that six times. Um, I guess because there are, there are bigger bigger stories in the Premier League at the moment. Leicester's struggles have kind of flown under the radar. I think most people are aware that they're not playing. Not playing well, but rogers they seem to have escaped scrutiny. I guess that maybe is because of the injuries. Um, but if you looked at, before the season started, and you looked at uh, Leicester's transfer window, this is the first—the first summer in four years where they've not lost their big player. Last year was mm. Chilwell to Chelsea, Maguire to United before that, and Mares to City uh, the season before that. Um, and on top of that, they got the bulk of their business done early. Um, they upgraded in midfield, added experience in defence. Um, they signed Saka. Um, as well uh, in attack. And I guess that's everything you want as a manager. But but they're eight positions and six points worse off this season than they were at the same stage last season. So, And even Norwich have kept more clean sheets in the rest of the season. So it's, things aren't going going great. And at the same time, Rodgers is getting linked to Manchester United. So it's not, not an ideal uh, start to the season for them.
1: Could it be mental fatigue, Jonathan? Because when you've blown forth two years in a row... In the way Leicester have, you know, even from the the coaching staff to the playing staff, the club in general, there could be a little bit of mental fatigue knocking around because that that to do that twice is a big, big blow.
2: Yeah, it could be. Uh, and then I guess the Europa League just sort of reinforces that point that you, you've you've blown it. So you you're playing in the Europa League, not mm. in the Champions League. But I still think yeah, you know, they've got 15 points. They're only uh five points off fifth. So it hasn't been disastrous. Um I I I still I I still tend to think that the yeah this this is to do with the injuries and and it it will sort of pick up and and I think with Leicester particularly that comparison season to season can be slightly misleading because the last the last two seasons has been a tailing off in the second half of the season so there is some wiggle room there that they 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 can make that back Um, so I I don't know I, I I I mean, yes, there are bigger stories. Yes, there is more stuff happening. I also, just, I'm not sure there's that much of a story happening here that, you yeah, Leicester, I think, have overperformed the last two seasons with the injuries. They've sort of settled back into mid table level. I'm pretty sure they'll be top 10 by the end of the season and probably getting to Europe again. For a club of Leicester stature, that's probably about right.
1: Fair. And a, and a club that doesn't really have any problems, Josh, although I think they did draw to Burnley last time out. I think that was the last game week. Chelsea Tuchel's squad rotation is unbelievable that he can literally pick a completely different eleven one week to the next. It doesn't seem to make a massive amount of difference. It, the, the the squad size and the rotation level is amazing.
0: Yeah, he's got some he's got lovely options, has not he? Um I think uh the apart from oh well the thing that's caught me by surprise quite a lot is the resurgence of Loftus-Cheek and Barkley, but apart from that I think the, just the sheer amount of goals that Chelsea are scoring from their defenders has been incredible. I think between all of their defenders, they've scored 12 league goals this season, which is more than six teams have managed in total and only one sh- one shy of Arsenal's tally. Um, at the start of the season, I thought, I wondered whether, they, not a fluke, but I wondered whether it was sustainable for their defenders to keep that up. But, but they are every week, really. And I've, I guess that just points down to really good coaching from Thomas Tuchel, that he's getting defenders into positions where they can where they can score regularly. Um, Reese James is Chelsea's top goal scorer in the league this season. Ben Chilwell has as many as Lukaku. Trevor Shalaba, who wasn't even meant to be at Chelsea this season, has more than Werner. Chilwell's having more shots per game than Jack Grealish. Rudiger's having more than James Madison. I think Chelsea's system is just geared to get goals from anywhere and anyone. And that must just be, must make it a nightmare to plan for.
1: A little brief fantasy football update, Jonathan, for you. I mean, Rudiger has the shots, as Josh says, but he never bloody scores. Oh, he's the only. He must be the only defender that doesn't score for Chelsea. It's funny you say that. Team.
0: It's funny say that, Dan, because we've actually got a bet for Rudiger this week. Oh. Uh, just a, a, a little boost from Bet Victor. It's just on the theme of Chelsea's goal, Chelsea's defenders scoring for fun. Um, and Rudiger has actually scored this season, but we've got we've got oh, him priced scored. priced up to score any time on Saturday, and for good reason, really. Only Palace and Leeds have conceded more set piece goals away from home than Leicester since the start of last season. And Rudiger has actually scored in each of his last three league games against the Foxes. Um, so, so just on the theme of Chelsea's goals, Chelsea's defenders scoring, and Rudiger's got previous against Leicester. I bet Victor have boosted that to thirteen to one for um, Rudiger, Rudiger to score any time. You can't get a better price than that. Um, and it's pretty,
1: It's a pretty big price for just an anytime goal scorer. I could do with some of that, definitely. I mean, I'll update you on my football manager life a little bit later on in the show, Jonathan. <laughs> but players that I thought, like Josh just touched on, players that I thought were like in Chelsea's third 11, probably, are playing games. And I, I watched that Burnley game. Ross Barkley had a really, really good game. He absolutely dominated that midfield, ran the show. I mean, I watched yeah. him toil for Villa last season and didn't want him back. And now he's playing in the Chelsea first.
2: I think he's, yeah, I think Tuchel's done something really clever there because it's not just about Barkley. You know, there was issues with Barkley at the start of the season and Tuchel basically said, you know, unless you knuckle down and get fitter, you're not going to be anywhere near the team. And he has knuckled down and got fitter. And so now he's getting picked. And that's not just good for him and good for Chelsea. It's good for the whole squad because there's a very clear example there of, if you do what the manager says, you you do have a chance. It's not just he's got his favourites and he, he ostracises others. If you do what he asks you to do, if you if you make the improvements he asks asks you to make, then then you, you know you, you, there is a way back. And I think that's a very healthy environment to have. Now Chelsea, you know whether whether he'd be getting game time if Kovacic and Kante were fit, um, maybe not. But you know, injuries happen, and, and it's very useful to, to have players you can bring in. So, so yeah, I, I think, and Loftus-Cheek as well. I mean, you know, obviously, the injury problems, he's had and he's clearly a very good player. You sort of hope that he can get some consistency and, and you know, can stay fit. And then maybe he's another one who comes into the England picture for the for the World Cup next year.
1: Yeah, they're certainly both getting picked ahead of Saul at the moment, who everyone seems to have completely forgot about. Absolutely nowhere near. there's a, a bit of Chelsea's Donny van der Beek, really, isn't he? He doesn't get anywhere near the team. Let's do the predictions then. Jonathan, what have you gone for? I've gone for 2 1 to Chelsea. 2 1 to Chelsea. Josh, who
2: scored?
0: Uh, we've gone for 2 1 as well for Chelsea.
2: No,
0: Rogers, Rogers doesn't have a good record against Chelsea.
2: Good to know. Well, they did win this game
1: last season, which was Lampard's yeah. last league game in charge. So Did they beat Chelsea in the FA Cup, Vaughan? Have I imagined that? No, Tillman scored, did, didn't it? they? I remember yeah, Tillman scored. I'm sure that was Chelsea. Yeah, I'm going to go yeah. with it. I think it was Jacob's chill. Chilwell scored in the last minute. He got disallowed. It was Chelsea. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. We got there eventually. Absolutely useless segment <laughs> in the show. I've gone for Leicester nil, Chelsea 1. Hopefully, Rudiger from a set play. All right, Jonathan, since we last spoke, all change on the manager oh, really? front. On oh,
3: yeah. the manager front? So, I, I thought, thought we were front. talking
1: about the league table. I was, uh... No, no, no. no we're, not, we're not there yet. I don't know. I don't know where we are with that. We'll come on to that later on in the show. Aston Villa, Stephen Gerrard, Dean Smith's obviously left. He's now Norwich manager, and Newcastle have finally got a manager as well in Eddie Howe. I mean, pick one. What, what do you expect?
2: Uh, okay, well, let's start with Eddie Howe. When when Bruce was first sacked, Eddie Howe was the first name that, that sort of cropped up. And it sort of made sense because he's 43, he's bright, he's English, he's got experience in the Premier League. Uh, okay, it didn't particularly go well for him at Burnley the one time he left Bournemouth. But he had five seasons in the Premier League, essentially battling relegation, but, but playing the sort of football I think Newcastle would, would like to see, so sort of aspirational football. Um, and he was available, so all of that, uh, yes, seemed seemed to be in his favour. And then they faffed about for a month and went around the houses of you know Fonseca and Emery and and uh, Lucien and various other people, uh, and then they end up back at Eddie Howe. And we've seen with Nuno at Spurs, that that's not a great thing if, if a manager is very obviously not the first choice. So it's not insurmountable by any means. And I think Eddie Hare is probably a slightly more forceful personality than Nuno. Um, certainly the way he's been welcomed into Newcastle is very different to the way that Nuno was treated at Spurs. Um, so, so maybe that isn't so much of a problem. From a football point of view, I think where there is an issue is that Newcastle haven't kept a clean sheet yet this season. So if you're saying, what do Newcastle need to do? If you're a troubleshooter going at Newcastle, how do you solve the problem of Newcastle? before you can bring in any signings in January. And you know, the, 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 they will have played 20 league games, more than half a league games, by the time the transfer window opens. So they do need to pick up some points before then. So what, you know, what do you need to do? You need to tighten up the defence. Well, Eddie howes has Bournemouth let in 65 goals a season in the Premier League. Even the, the season when he finished in top half, he let in 61, which was his best season defensively. So for all his qualities as a manager, he's not necessarily somebody who will be able to sort out the, the defence. And that, that would seem to me a problem. So again, it's, it doesn't mean it's going to fail necessarily, but that would be my my doubt.
1: It's kind of like the complete opposite of Steve Bruce as well. He's only Josh really the way he likes to play, to play the game, Eddie Howe. Complete opposite of Steve Bruce.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think Newcastle supporters are understandably are excited by, by the prospects of Eddie Howe. Um, so I saw I was, saw on Sky Sports News that um, some fans even waited 12 hours at the training ground for a hotel. Oh, I saw, saw, that. I I didn't, saw that. I, I didn't realise he had that that sort of appeal, but... But there you go. I don't um, think
1: he does, to be honest, Josh. I think that's just Newcastle fans and football.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, But yeah, he, he's been out of the job for 15 months. He seems, uh, in that time, seems to have getting touted for better and better jobs without doing anything. But he t- to be fair, he did achieve amazing things at Bournemouth. I look back at um when he first took over at Bournemouth. I, I don't know if I just didn't realise or just completely forgotten about it. But when he took over at Bournemouth, it was New Year's Eve in 2008 and they were rock bottom of League Two and there were 17 points adrift, adrift for safety. Um, so in that half season that he had there, he he steered them clear, which is pretty incredible. 17 to to bridge that 17 point gap, um, and then obviously got them promoted the next season, and I guess the rest was history. But but yeah, just but just as Jonathan said, the, 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 keeping a solid defence has never been really his his strong point, and I guess that would probably be a concern for a Newcastle team that, um, as Jonathan said, haven't kept a clean sheet. Um, but he he's obviously worked with players like Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser and um, Matt Ritchie before. Obviously, Fraser and Wilson had that incredible relationship at Bournemouth, um, and there are players that I'm sure he would love to work with, but there is still such a long way to go, isn't there, until January, and they do, lo- do lack quality in defence and in that central midfield area. So, so while it's it's encouraging, I think there's a lot,
1: a, some patience will ne- will be needed. Think, yeah, he's probably got the biggest job of the three. Eddie Howe. Another team that needs the defence sorting out, because absolutely all over the place at the moment, Jonathan, is Aston Villa. Steven Gerrard comes in. Let's talk about Villa pushing for the top six now, Jonathan.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, step by step, first thing, don't get relegated. And that is that is a potential problem. They're only two points clear of the bottom three. Um and I, I think I think there's um a change has happened in the Premier League that we perhaps haven't quite noticed yet, which is that there's suddenly this very large, very powerful middle class. Um and so, so what I mean by that, you you have City and Chelsea are clearly financially on a, you know, in a different category. Then United, for historical reasons, are incredibly wealthy. Liverpool are in that sort of top four, partly because of money, but mainly because of, of the genius of Klopp and how good their recruitment's been. But you then have this big trunch of clubs who've all invested quite a lot, or or expect to invest quite a lot. You probably all think they should be battling to to nick fourth, one of those big four has has an off season. Who you probably expect to be fifth or sixth. So Villa have obviously put in loads of money, but so have Leicester and Arsenal and Tottenham. Sort of historically and the money they've spent, sort of feel they should be around there. Uh, West Ham, uh, without quite the level of investment, but the, the way they're playing this season, the fact they've got the you know, have a huge stadium, they clearly think they can be, you know, regular European contenders. Um, Leeds are, are going through this sort of slow process of. Of investment at the minute is, is the 49ers come in. I think 44% of Leeds now is owned by by the company that owns the, the, the 49ers. And they will put money in and have expectations. Everton have have spent significant money and, and keep on bringing in relatively big-name managers, none of whom ever seem quite to fit. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of clubs who I think would expect to be top six. And that's not even counting the likes of Brighton and Palace hmm. who have got things right in a really well-organised and um yeah it's entirely plausible they could finish top half this season so i feel i've missed somebody oh and newcastle is is i guess the other club who in time would expect to be pushing into that category so i think it's entirely possible you can come in be quite a good manager do quite a good job and finish 11th or something and look like a disaster.
1: That's what Dean Smith did last season. Villa got off to a great start, but but finished 11th. 2021 wasn't great. Not started, one. Well, not had a, the best last five games and he's he's lost his job off the back of 2021 as a whole. But I think there must have
2: been, uh, a yeah, part of that decision must have been a, a little glance over the shoulder and thinking, oh, Christ, we we might be in a bit of bother here because Burnley, I think, have been playing better than results have suggested. Yeah, got the first one against Brentford and then a little bit fortunate, but they probably due the luck against Chelsea. Um, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Watford and Norwich with, with new management, but probably, you know, probably they're going down, there's one other space Newcastle, you assume, will improve partly because of the money and the spending in, in January, but partly just because of Eddie Howe Leeds have started to look like they're clicking into gear, and when players start to come back, they'll surely improve, so I, I think there is, uh, Southampton have started getting results now, so you know, I think if you're Villa, and you're sort of thinking, yeah, two points clear, that's that's not good. When we want to run a five straight defeats, we can't really afford this to go on.
1: Don't you dare come on a podcast that I host, Jonathan, to talk about Villa being in relegation trouble. Absolutely <laughs> outrageous. I'm appalled by what I'm hearing. Well, I was expecting you to be taken away with Stephen Gerrard becoming I mean, Aston so, Villa some, manager.
2: Sometimes, sometimes somebody's got to take you aside and have a a very serious chat down. And, and, and this probably is one of
1: those times. That's... I've, I've had my fair share of them at the moment. <laughs> Josh, Norwich, Dean Smith. I'm going to say, just, sensible appointment. Yeah, it is. But just
0: before we cut, on to if I'll just boost you back up a little bit about Gerard, no, um, uh I think it's an, it's an exciting appointment, I think, from a neutral anyway. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how he gets on. Is he going to dominate games like he did with Rangers? Probably not. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes about finding a solution there. I think Villa fans like yourself will probably just be hoping to see like a clear way of playing, won't they? Because um, that wasn't really the case under Smith this season anyway. Um but I looked into uh, Gerard's bit more about his coaches, uh, his oh, coaching team. That's who he's what brought, I'm excited about. Who he's brought in, and I think Gary McAllister, he could be, he could play an important part early, early on. He also he's been at Villa before, and even if it was a decade ago, I think, and not, it wasn't for for long, but a decade ago, there, there's at least some familiarity there that Gerard doesn't have. Um, but I think the most exciting aspect of Gerard's coaching team is a guy called Michael Bill. Um, yeah. Bef- before he joined. Uh, Gerard at Rangers. He was at the Chelsea youth academy, and I think he worked with uh, Gerard at Liverpool's in the underage squads. And he's been credited, I think, with developing talents like Hudson Odoi, Tammy Abraham, Curtis Jones, and Trent Alexander-Arnold. And I think with with Liverpool um, with Villa's uh, academy at the moment, it's got so much potential and so much talent. I think that only bodes well for for some of their players. That a guy like Michael Bill with that track record. Um, can can bring them through through to the first team.
1: Dean Smith, Jonathan, I, I think I probably I think that's the best appointment of the three. Actually, I think it's a very very sensible appointment, Dean Smith, in at Norwich. I think I think he gives them a chance of staying up.
2: I mean, they definitely have a chance of staying up. I mean, they're only only six points adrift, seven points adrift. Uh, so it's, you know, with what twenty seven games to go, that's that's certainly not insurmountable. It's difficult. But it's not insurmountable. I, I think the dane I think there's two dangers to that appointment, and it's not really to do with Dean Smith. I still think probably they'll go down. You could do quite a good job. And and, I mean, I suspect this season is going to be 35, 36 points, need to stay up. So they could get 30 points in 27 games and still go down. Um, And I think any manager, I think it's very difficult for a manager to take a club down uh, and not to be slightly tainted by that. Uh, I think if you've taken the club up, maybe you have a bit more credit in the bank. So, you know, if you take them up and then go back down, people remember the promotion campaign. If you just take them down, I, th- I think that, that 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 can. I mean, it, I mean it's not a like for like comparison at all, but Jan Sievert at Huddersfield was clearly undermined by the fact he was the manager of Huddersfield down, never really got going the next season. And, and the other thing I'd worry about is how healthy is it to leave a job and go into a new job a week later? Um, uh, I'm. I mean, may, maybe. I mean, yeah. It's 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 outside. It's impossible for us to know. Dean Smith's the only person who will know. But it does have all the hallmarks of sort of a rebound fling, of kind of somebody, you know, who, who's uh, confident, taking a bit of a knock, and he has a chance to get straight back in the game and and sort of boost himself back up again. And maybe it's healthy to take a bit of time out and sort of think about things and and, and refresh yourself. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, he may be the sort of personality who. He who who will respond well to this, uh, maybe not. But that would, would seem to me an obvious
1: question mark as as an outsider. He said himself in his press conference yesterday that, you know, he's not really been out of the game since he was sixteen. He wanted to get some he wanted to get back in. And I guess he's probably a wounded animal as well. You know, he'll feel like he's got something to prove, he'll feel like he probably had a bit of credit in the bank at Villa and deserved a little bit more time. There's some decent players at Norwich who haven't been used as well. So even just by playing Campwell and Rashika, I think, I think the Norwich fans will get behind him. Let's
2: not forget Billy Gilmore.
1: Yeah. Billy Gilmore, here we go on the podcast every week. He's going to be now. He's going to be pulling the strings. Steen Smith probably would have quite liked someone like Billy Gilmore to be fair at Villa, just to free up Douglas Luiz a bit. And um, uh, we'd have liked anyone in central midfield, yeah. You tell you.
0: <laughs> and and Cantwell was obviously heavily linked to Villa in the summer as well, wasn't he? So so there's two players that I'm sure that will come straight back into the team. Um, I think Gilmore's played more minutes for Scotland than he has for Norwich this season, and Cantwell's not played since September. So obviously that they, they'll well. be they'll be hoping to get back in as quickly as possible. And I think we can expect to see M- Matthias Norman's probably being Norwich's best player this season, albeit not a high bar to, to, to set. But um, I get it. we've looked at the stats between Norman and John McGinn, and they marry up quite nicely. So I, g- I guess we can expect to see Norman turn into Smith's sort of McGinn player in midfield. They um, they both like shooting from distance, carrying the ball forward, committing a lot of fouls, and neither are particularly um, efficient with their passes. Um and McGinn's been creating a lot more chances than Norman, but um, that's perhaps the case of Villagers just having a better squad and, and challenging for wins more than Norwich are. But, but yeah, there are some interesting players in there that I think uh, Smith will enjoy, enjoy working with.
1: Just I thought this podcast couldn't get even more low as a Villa fan. You're now comparing Villa's best central midfield player with Norwich's best central midfield player for stats. I'm not sure that's good at all. It's time now for the just a minute section and it feels like years ago when we made our last prediction. So how did the last game week go for the predictions from who scored, Jonathan and myself? It's actually uh, tightening up at the top now. Uh, Dan,
0: yourself and Jonathan, you're both level on 74 points now um, and, and who scored are just four points back. Who, who scored were actually 10 off the lead two weeks ago. So so we've cut into that quite nicely. But yeah, it's just four points separating all three of us. It's intense, Jonathan.
1: On a little bit of a stodgy run, I would say.
2: Yeah, I don't think I've had a correct score for three weeks now. <laughs> uh, but that's, you yeah, know, if, if football gets things wrong, that's not my fault.
1: I mean, it has been all over the place. I'll, I'll look at my prediction. I, mean, I don't think I've even predicted a draw this week. So, you know, I'm definitely going to get a couple wrong. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, football has been really, really weird. Before we bring Sam Boswell in from Bet Victor, our Saturday 3pm treble this week, Josh, is based all around the new managers conveniently.
0: Who's so would have predicted Southampton to win? Um, Southampton have won both meetings with Norwich last season and have 10 points from the last 12 and they obviously just beat a Dean Smith side. Um, Dana, you've predicted Ollie Watkins to score on Steven Gerrard's first game and Jonathan, you've predicted Newcastle to beat Brentford and both teams to score... And Bet Victor have actually priced it up as 40 to 1. So there's a massive price based around the three, the three new new managerial games.
1: Welcome then to the show, Sam. A lot going on in the managerial merry-go-round in the last few weeks since I spoke to you. So Stephen Gerrard now in at mighty Aston Villa. Daniel Fark has left Norwich. Dean Smith has now replaced him. Looks really weird. Him being Norwich manager. And Newcastle have finally pulled the finger out and appointed a manager as well in Eddie Howe. What have Bet Victor got going on?
3: Well, yeah, I've got to say it was nice to finally get a Newcastle manager in that market, been particularly active. Finally, Eddie Howe got the job and he had been backed across the course of it. Obviously, we saw a few different favourites, uh, but there, Villa and Norwich getting on with the job much quicker in terms of appointing a manager. So let's run you through a few prices kicking off. Uh, we'll start with Norwich, who, you know, Dee Smith's taking on what, what, some people would say it's the impossible to trying to keep Norwich up. They're 9-2, to two, realistically, to stay up this season. Realistically, he's got a really hard job in his hands. But they're a well-run club that I think are a fantastic opportunity to rebuild next year. So be able to see how he gets on. But 9-2 to, to pull off an absolute miracle. I think I'd want a bit bigger personally. At Newcastle, meanwhile, I don't think Eddie Howe's going to have it all his own way there. They may have money to spend... Uh, in January but they're 8-13 to, to stay up so you know they are odds on to stay up but by the same token I don't think it's going to be that easy for him unless they do start flashing the cash. Villa of course, Steven Gerrard, really interesting appointment here. Um, personally c- couldn't see it myself this one so it'd be fascinating to see how he gets on. Obviously there's going to be loads of questions when they come up against Liverpool in the near future because people always seem to assume Gerrard's got that Joe on his radar. 4-1, to one to steer Villa to a top-half finish this season, which I think would be a really fair achievement and a good building block for the future. Villa have got some real quality in their side, and I'd be staggered if he doesn't really manage to start turning them round.
1: Yeah, four to one, top-half. Feels a little bit high.
3: I I think so. I think it's quite compressed, isn't it, when you look sort of uh, a bit further down the table, the, the seventh to sort of... 14th you know a few a few wins and results certainly will change it around with all those teams playing each other on a more or less every other week basis it can definitely chop and change and uh, I just had a look because I believe you you you've got a theory on the new manager bounce you fancy Villa Newcastle and Norwich to all win this weekend is that correct
1: I mean I don't want to spoil the the next segment the just a minute segment but yes yeah, someone who's very very good at predictions has predicted all three new managers to get off to a winning start
3: 20 to 1, the treble pace of us for Villa to beat uh, Brighton, Newcastle at home to get the better of Brentford, which I think at 30 to 20 would probably, 31 to 20 probably be my. Uh, favourite of the three. Norwich are a big price at 5-2 to two to get the better of Southampton, but you wouldn't be staggered if all three got the win. Uh, be very interested to see how they go. As ever, loads going on this weekend. All the boosts are on site. You'll be able to find those as well. I'm looking forward personally to uh, a footballing exhibition with Liverpool Arsenal. Liverpool 9-20 to to get the job done at home. The draw 7-2. to 11-2 Arsenal to get a surprise win. As ever, Encourage everyone to gamble responsibly. Look forward to having the return of the Premier League. And uh, we're really getting into the meat of the season now. Big, big, big couple of weeks coming up game-wise.
1: Yeah, no more international breaks. All three of those teams need a win. I like the look of that treble. Thanks ever so much, Sam. Always a pleasure to talk to you.
3: No problem, Dan. Uh, all the odds available over at betvictor.com.
1: Let's then do our predictions for this week's Premier League games in the just-a-minute section. Jonathan, you're up first. You've got the the heavier load this week, so you're going to go first with Villa against Brighton.
2: Obviously, Stephen Gerrard's first game as Villa manager, and you assume that there'll be some kind of um, euphoric uplift there. I always slightly worry about that. I think it's a volatile thing that it can go for you, but it can also sort of add pressure. Um, And Villa have been in such bad form recently in the last five I think this isn't an easy game for them at all. Um, Dunnings, uh, Luis, Traore, all out. Conte suspended. Um, Brighton, who who are difficult. They are very well organised. Um, they've got doubts over Burn and Connolly, especially over and who's who's been very good for them recently. Welbeck out, Alzate out. Sanchez is suspended. They've drawn six of the last seven in all competitions, but they've certainly lost twice this season and haven't lost yet away. Um I assume that the back three will disappear for Villa, it'll go back to being, it'll, it'll, it'll go to the similar system of what Gerard used in Scotland as a, as a 4-3-3, which I think probably suits Villa better. Um, Villa lost this game 2-1 last season, I think it'll be better than that this time, but possibly not win, so I'm going 1-1. I
1: think what I've learned so far this season is no formation seems to suit Villa, whatever, whatever we do, seems to be completely wrong. If you've got
2: five right wingers, it makes it quite difficult.
1: It's a hard job, hard job. A very balanced squad at Villa, as you've just said. I've gone for Aston Villa two, Brighton one, Stevie G off to a winning start. And what have who scored gone for, Josh?
0: We've gone for one all as well.
1: One all I've gone deep. You two you've done the same so far. We've gone the I'm same different. a lot. A lot yeah, of the scores. That's me? good. That's good. Here we go. I'm going to be clearly top by <laughs> the end by the end of this week. Josh, I mean, if you don't want to do a minute on this game, feel free not to. Burnley, at least.
0: <laughs> after a tough start to the season with four defeats in their first five league games, Burnley have proven tough to beat in recent weeks. Burnley have put points on the board in five of their last six outings after holding the league as Chelsea to a draw before the break. Sean Dyche is expected to resist changes despite the fact Jay Rodriguez and Matthias Vidra both combined off the bench for Burnley's equaliser against Chelsea. Summer signing Conor Roberts scored for Wales during the break, but Dyche is expected to be loyal and stick with Matt Lowton for now. The international break didn't come at a great time for Crystal Palace, who are really starting to gather momentum under Patrick Vieira. Only Arsenal are on a longer unbeaten run in the Premier League at present, with Palace going six games without defeats. Palace head into this weekend looking to win three league games in a row for the first time since the middle of 2020. James Tompkins is on standby to start should Joachim Anderson fail to recover from a knock in the only real notable bit of team news for Palace. Burnley have actually won the last three meetings between the two sides without conceding, but as both are proving difficult to beat, we are backing a one all
2: score draw. Uh oh one all, yeah.
1: <laughs> Excellent. I've gone for Burnley one, Crystal Palace two. So another another differential for me. This this could either be an absolute disaster or absolutely <laughs> masterful for me this week. Jonathan, you've got the Ivan Tony Derby, Newcastle v. Brentford.
2: Why is that the Ivan Tony Derby?
1: Because he played for birth.
2: Did he play for Newcastle?
1: Yeah, he yeah. played
2: for Newcastle. I don't remember that.
1: Come on, Jonathan! You get it's nominated like for it. awards. I shouldn't, shouldn't be having superior <laughs> knowledge. Uh, I just shouldn't. But
2: <laughs> I said, when was that?
1: I don't I think he played, he played a game. To be fair, but he, I he definitely he played, played for it. him.
2: I think he was in their academy. Okay, didn't he? okay definitely, definitely played for him. I mean, we're talking about euphoric uplifts. Uh, it didn't work out for Newcastle. Uh, the um, the first game after the takeover, with that defeat to Tottenham. I think maybe this time there's something a bit more substantial. There is a different figure on the bench. Uh, there is a sense of a new era having begun. Uh, And Brentford are going through a a slightly tricky period for the first time since since they got promoted. Uh, They suddenly lost four in a row. Now, I don't think they played particularly badly, um, apart from maybe half of that game against um, Burnley. Um, Against Norwich, obviously, that's a game that you don't want to be losing. uh, But they they did win that 2.79 to 1.16 on the XG. So I think they're a little bit unlucky there. Um, So there are questions there for them. They've got eight players out, Visser, Ayer, and Jensen probably being the, being the key three. Uh, Newcastle, actually, their injuries are, are clearing up. Uh, Fraser's a doubt. Um, Paul Dummett's the only one who's definitely out. Um, so that that probably points to to uh, a first win for them, I would expect. Uh, no clean sheets this season, though, so I'll say 2-1 to Newcastle.
1: Same for me. Josh?
2: Uh, we've won for 2 all in that game. All,
0: for the first time in pretty forever, all Newcastle's goalkeepers are fit as well.
1: Really? Dubravka's back? Yeah. Excellent stuff. wonder if he'll play. He probably will. I would have thought he probably will get back in, actually. Uh, next up for you, and I've been desperately trying to think of a player that played for Norwich and Southampton and couldn't think of one, draft. So it's Norwich against Southampton for you.
0: <laughs> Norwich got Billy Gilmore. He hasn't played for Southampton, but they got Gilmore. Um, Dean Smith's first game in charge for Norwich incredibly comes against the team he faced in his last job for Aston Villa. Todd Cantwell and Gilmore will hope to benefit from Smith's arrival after both dropping completely out of the picture under Daniel Farker. Um, Ralph Housenhuttle will hope to recover some important players for Saturday's trip to Norwich. James Ward-Prowse and Valentino Liveramento were both forced to withdraw from international duty during the, bre- during the break. Arm- Armando Broja is also a doubt, while Nathan Redmond is on his way back from COVID. Should Ward-Prowse and Liveramento recover in time, then Southampton should really be unchanged from the, vi- from the win over Aston Villa before the break. Southampton started the season with no wins from their first seven in the Premier League but have now won three of their last four. Having won their last three against Norwich, they should be fancy to win here and inflict back-to-back defeats on Smith in a matter of weeks. We've gone for a narrow 1-0 Southampton win.
1: I've gone for Norwich to win 1-0. The Dean Smith start? Jonathan? Southampton win 1-0. Nathan Redmond played for both. Excellent. That's great. Great shout You'll be pleased. now. I've got one for your next game, Jonathan. The Ben Foster Derby, Watford against oh, Manchester United. Yes. There's quite a, there's quite a few. It's Tom Cleverley, Josh King, Ashley Young. What, oh, I might start team? doing this. I might start calling all the games. Derby, <laughs> see what I can come up with. So we'll go with the we'll go with the Ben Foster Derby, Watford against Manchester United.
2: Uh, I mean, what what can you say new about Manchester United? I mean, absolutely nothing. It's the same as it's been for it feels like eternity. Uh, they'll probably win this because they they have much better players than Watford, um, but. Yeah, things clearly aren't right there. They're going to be without Varane and Pogba. Um, Pogba, who damaged his thigh, volleying a ball in France training. There's doubt of McTominay, Caverney, and Shaw. Watford without e- Etebo, Kucha, um Kucha, Um Very hard to know what's going on with Watford. I mean, they've lost four of the last five. They're clearly in a bit of bother. Three of those four under Ranieri. Um, they did have that 5-2 win against Everton which just doesn't even fit into any of the other fixtures, I think what is encouraging for Ranieri is that the last two defeats last two games have both been 1-0 defeats, so there is a sense that they're tightening up, so at least maybe there, there is something to build on there uh, United's form is awful one win in the last six in the Premier League but they should have enough to to, to win this, so I'm going to go 2-1 to United Samesies from me, Josh is yep. good
0: same as us, 2-1. Probably oh, Watford score good. first and United come from behind, something like that.
1: Yeah, two in the last minute for Manchester yeah. United. Your last game to preview, Josh, is the Paul Instaba. It's Wolves against West Ham.
0: <laughs> Wolves' five game on streak Street came to an end last time out as they lost 2-0 away to Palace. Bruno Larga has a relatively settled squad with the only doubt about who plays in the front three. After a bustling start to the season, Adama Traore has only started two of Wolves' last six in the Premier League. Trincao currently has the edge over him but it wouldn't be a surprise to me anyway to see Daniel Pedentz start here for just a second time this season. West Ham have won six of their last seven matches in all competitions and would have been flying after their 3-2 win after over Liverpool last time out. Victory over Jurgen Klopp's side did come out of cost, however, with Angelo Bonner now unlikely to play again this season. David Moy should at least have Declan Rice available after he pulled out of England duty through illness. Pablo Fornells will also need to be assessed, while West Ham shelled out £100,000 on a private jet to get... Mikel Antonio back from Jamaica as quickly as possible. Third in the table, West Ham will be expected to win this one. The fact Bulls are yet to keep a clean sheet at home this season, coupled with the fact West Ham have conceded six times across their last three points towards an entertaining game. Added to that, nine goals were scored across the two fixtures last season, and we fancy West Ham to keep it going with a 2-1 win. I've gone for 2-0 to West
1: Ham. Jonathan?
2: Um, I've gone for 1-1. Uh,
1: now, this one's right. This is a stupender show. It's the Mangala Derby, Man City against Everton. Fabian Delph as well. Fabian Delph. Did Mangala play uh, for Everton? I felt like it had a brief loan spell there. Kanchelskis. Kanchelskis. Yeah. I like Mangala.
2: I don't understand City at all at the minute. That they, they can go from being brilliant to being very, very tepid uh, from week to week. So the last the last game was that very straightforward win in the Manchester Derby. Um when they you know they could have scored seven or eight if they'd if they'd really sort of put the foot down. But the game before that was the the defeat at Ham to Palace when that issue they have in certain games of just not being able to get going, not being able to create chances, and then not being able to, to take the chances they do create. Um, was to the fore. And the game before that was them going out of the EFL Cup to, to West Ham. So yeah, you know, we've seen plenty of teams this season who've won at Old Trafford and you sort of think, well, yeah, they're going they're going fine. Everton, um, Villa. But may, maybe getting results at Old Trafford is, isn't all that anymore. Everton clearly have huge problems with injuries. Uh, De Albert, Calvert-Lewin, Davies, Gomez, all out. Holgate suspended. Uh, Mina may be back, but that's still not certain. I think this will be a, a pretty um, deep-lying Everton. You remember how Rafa played against City for Newcastle, and I think he set a record for the lowest possession in a half in a Premier League game. Uh, maybe they'll hold out. Maybe they won't. I certainly can't see them scoring, so I'm going City to
1: win 2-0. I've gone for 3-0 Manchester City and Josh. We've gone for 3-0 as well. For Manchester excellent City stuff, excellent stuff. And in the news that everyone cares about, Mangala did play two games on loan for Everton. Wow. Oh, very good, well done. I, spe- I spent the first 40 seconds trying to spell his name. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was good, yeah. The was John Stone derby sure. as well. Yeah, yeah. I like that. We'll start adding that And I'll probably get told after the show that stop doing that. It's adding too, it's adding too much to the just a minute section. Don't do that again. <laughs> but I enjoy thinking of players. To create derby games. Let's look now at Liverpool v Arsenal, the Michael Thomas derby. I tell you what, I am on absolute plans <laughs> with pulling old footballers back that play for both teams on fire. I just say that making sense of Liverpool's defensive issues, Jonathan. the defense been that bad? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. If, I don't, know if, I don't know if, I need to be um, high about it either. So but.
2: they've let in two or more on six occasions this season. Okay. Uh, so, so that, that I mean, they've. they've I thought it was interesting after they lost to West Ham, uh, Klopp saying that it hadn't really felt like a long unbeaten run because they had too many draws in there and it, he hadn't really felt like they were playing particularly well. But I think there is a slightly strange sense that they've gone, gone back to similar problem. I mean, they're obviously playing better now, but it's not, not dissimilar how it was when Klopp first came in, that they're, they're thrilling going forward and, and incredibly exciting when they've got the ball. But you do always think you've got a, got a chance against them. Um they've started conceding a lot of goals from set plays. You think of the Atletico game, you think of the West Ham game and two goals from West Ham. And West Ham are very good at set plays. Um and also West Ham are really good at hitting that space behind Alexander Arnold, which Liverpool had pretty much protected this season. So um you sort of think of Arsenal and the way they play, Abamiang maybe getting in that space behind Alexander Arnold. I mean it doesn't have the pace of some of West Ham's foot forwards, probably, but but still it is a potential source of danger, I think.
1: Alisson, obviously, like he has a few games a season where he's absolutely all over the place and I think that was his game last time out, Alisson.
0: Yeah, he he wasn't particularly great. I don't know how he was trying to claim a foul for um, the, one of the West Ham corners. But but yeah, I guess last season was all about the different centre-back pairings that Liverpool had to go through. And I guess this season, it's been more about the different midfield combinations across their first 11 league matches this season. They've used nine different midfield three combinations. I think fitness problems for players like Henderson, Cater, Thiago, Fabinho and Oxley, they're they aren't new but last season they at least had one constant in Gini Bidnallon. Vinaldon yeah. st- still played more Premier League minutes in midfield than any other Liverpool player since the start of last season considerably as well and he obviously he obviously now plays for PSG but that, that's not to say that Bijnaldum, in Vinaldon Liverpool lost one of the best midfielders in the world but he in the role that he played in the team he he Paid it to perfection and was always reliable in it. Um, he was always in the right place at the right time when Liverpool stretched. He would bridge the gap between defence and midfield, um, and also supply the, those late runs into the box. Um, and and Klopp hasn't really found anyone that can can play that role to the same to the same level. And I think that's left in some instances Liverpool's defence being a bit overrun. And I think like one defeat in seventeen games is is pretty good start to the season, but. But there have been times in games where they've just let let the game slip where you just wouldn't expect them to. And I think it's like the multiple goals they've conceded in go- games against AC Milan, Atletico. I think they threw away a 2-0 lead against Brighton. Obviously, the 3-0 with Brentford. They're just conceding in moments where, where you you don't... Well, in at least the last year or two, they, they wouldn't normally. So And even in the 5 and the win against Manchester United, obviously, it was an easy game. But very early on, United did get in and around their penalty area quite easily. So I think there is stuff... Um, Stuff to iron out there
1: for for Klopp. I mean, if we wouldn't be talking about dodgy defenses at the start of the season. I would have assumed we would have been talking about Arsenal. I <laughs> spent the first few weeks of, of Edge of the Box just laughing at Arsenal, basically, Jonathan. I, I certainly did, but I think they do have genuine top four hopes again now.
2: Yeah, they do. Um, I mean, certainly, I think they should be expecting to finish above United this season. Uh, the issue is can they catch West Ham? Which um, I think, yeah, again, if you'd said that at the start of the season to Arsenal. He's going to be EOSM for the fourth Champions League spot. I think they'd have been delighted with that. Thomas Partey's made a big difference. Uh, and Uh you know, I know he came in with big expectations last season and perhaps didn't quite live up to them, partly because of injuries. But and, and I know this is a ludicrously small sample size, but when he's played this season, they haven't lost and they've won 71% of games. When he hasn't played, they've only won 57% and they lost 43%. So he's made a huge difference uh, in front of the, the defence. And that, that, I think, is, is where that solidity come from. And, of course, they, they didn't have Gabriel those first two or three games. When they, when it also, you know, they, I mean, Brentford away on the first day probably was difficult. City clearly was difficult. And they had one other tough game, Chelsea. Um, so it wasn't the kind of start for them either. Um, but since then, got away with it a bit, maybe against Brighton and against Palace, but... Yeah, you know, they've won eight of the last ten more competitions. You can't really complain at that.
1: I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think Gabriel's the the massive one for them. I think he's integral to Arsenal. What, what he does,
2: yeah. No, I think he's really good. And, and um, it's it's never just one one player, but yeah, he, he's he's clearly. I think he, he he makes Ben White look better as well. Um, so so yeah, I, I think I think him and party have, have both been been really important to them. I, th- I think this this game in particular as well. I think will will show where
0: Arsenal are. Like you can only beat obviously what's put in front of you, and I'm, ten games unbeaten is really good. But the two games where they did slip up were against Palace and Brighton, who were playing well. Whereas I guess the other teams that they've played have, were underperforming. Ramsdale bailed them out a bit against Leicester as well. But against Liverpool, they're obviously coming up against the side that's generally playing playing quite well. And at, that fourth spot, you have to say that Chelsea, Liverpool, and City are nailed on for the top three in whatever order they finish. But it's just whether Conte can get Tottenham going quickly and how long United stick with Solskjaer I guess and whether West Ham can sustain this run. And obviously Arsenal are the only team that don't have European football. So maybe that yeah, that, that helps. be a factor.
1: I slagged off the script at the start for saying about the Europa League and now I've just sat here and said, Yeah, not having European <laughs> football that, that really helps. <laughs> a, a walking contradiction. <laughs> now a combined eleven would have been full of Liverpool players earlier on in the season, Josh. What's give us the give us the balance. Let us have let's let's play the guessing game. Jonathan loves the guessing game. <laughs> any, any players first have you got in your turn, Jonathan? How many do you think have made into the Who Score team? How many of my team have made into the Who Score team? Seven. Seven. I reckon there's four Arsenal players in the eleven, Josh. There's only two. But <laughs> I, I guess that is down to Great segment. Arsenal are
0: still playing catch-up, aren't they? After they had a bit of a dodgy start and also they've got a five big 5 0 defeat in there.
2: Well, I've only yeah. got two as well who are. <laughs> Gabriel and party. Ah. Well, they're different,
0: different to us. We Ooh. have. I'll, I'll just run through the team. So in goal, we've got Aaron Ramsdale. I think he's obviously made a like he's exceeded expectations since since joining joining Arsenal. I didn't realize he had that level of distribution. To be honest, I guess that gets hindered um, when you're playing for a team like Sheffield United. But um, the back four is still all Liverpool. Um, the we got Trent Alexander Arnold uh, right back. I guess we've got Matip and Van Dijk at centre-back. I guess you'd say that Van Dijk's still finding his way back from from that obviously quite horrendous knee injury, but he's still getting in there just a, ahead of Gabriel. Uh, Robert, Andy Robertson, I don't think Liverpool fans are uh, quite so happy with his form this season, but he just edges it. Um, just because Costa Simakas hasn't played enough games, Tierney's been injured and um, Nuno Tavares is, has only played a couple of games as well. In midfield, we've got Naby Keita and Jordan Henderson. Um, and then Emile Smith-Rowe just in front of them, and then it's an all-Liverpool front three with Salah, Hotter and Sadio Mane.
1: I mean, someone was ringing me, so I completely missed the defence, but never mind. It, it, was all,
0: it was all Liverpool. All it was Liverpool, all Liverpool
1: was defenders, OK. Yeah. Excellent. Jonathan, what's your, who are your two Arsenal ones then? What are the differences?
2: I mean, I, I was cheating slightly by playing two left-sided centre-backs of uh, Gabriel and Van Dijk together, uh, and then I had Party Henderson and Fabinho in midfield, uh, but otherwise identical.
1: And I think we have a bet builder, Josh, for this game.
2: Yeah, we do. And this bet builder is massive,
0: to be fair. Um, So I'll just run through it to start with. So we've got Salah and Mane both to score anytime. We've got both teams to score and we've got Lokonga to be carded. Um, This is by far and away the leading price compared to some of the other generous bookies. Um, It was anyway before we got the boost, but Betvictor boosted it to 40 to 1 which is is really incredible. So Salah and Mane, they've scored 23 goals between them across league and European competition this season. And they've scored in the same game in four of Liverpool's last eight league games. Individually, they have great records against Arsenal as well. Salah has scored in seven of nine league meetings between the two and Mane has scored in six of ten league meetings for Liverpool. Um, It's not as obvious to predict a Liverpool score, uh, an Arsenal goal scorer, sorry, but both teams have scored in nine of the last 11 league meetings between the two. And for the for the final leg um if there are any doubts about Sam San pl- uh, playing he has started all their last three league games and Jack has obviously ruled out parties of doubt but but yeah so, and he's been carded twice as many times as any other Arsenal player in the league this season so um make sure you are 18 and over and gamble responsibly um you can find this this bet um as long as well as all of our others in the description below so that's Marne and Salah to score anytime, both teams to score, and Congo to be carded, and that's forty to one. It's massive.
1: Predictions then of who scored going for? We have gone for two one Liverpool. Jonathan two one is it? Yeah, two one Liverpool. Yeah, no, I've gone for I've gone for two 0 to Liverpool. Oh, really, this could this could end up being good for me. You you two have done the you've yeah. done the same. You've done a lot of the same. This could be good. What also could be good is Conte at Tottenham, although not the most spectacular first game, the 0-0 away at Everton. But they're playing Leeds at home this week. I've not seen them live, so I'm hoping, Jonathan, you might have learned something from Conte's first two matches.
2: Uh, not a huge amount because it was so different. Uh, the Vitesse game was sort of madcap all over the place. And then it was very controlled, the the, uh, the game against Everton. So, uh, I mean, what we do know, it's not really from the matches, it's that he's pretty unhappy with the level of fitness with the squad. Uh, you know, the dietary stuff is is very standard for him, but I think he he really feels that a squad that was extremely fit under Pochettino has lost that a bit under Mourinho and didn't get it back under Nuno. And that's not necessarily a, I mean, it kind of is a criticism, but the way that both Mourinho and Nuno approach training is they think you get fit by playing. Uh, and that might be why that 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 sort of Portuguese periodization beachy frage school uh, is starting to look a little bit old hat. That, that, that maybe maybe the, the the fitness levels there aren't quite what they were. You saw that at United as well; their, their their running stats fell off massively under Mourinho, and and Spurs have done the same. So I think Conte's first first thing is is, is get the players a lot fitter. Uh, and I do wonder whether. Already, we're seeing that with Harry Kane, his sharp. I know it's Albanian and San Marino, so it's not necessarily a, a fair test. But I, I, yeah, I, I wonder if, if Conte's training, even just that week, is enough to sort of just just lift his level slightly. Um, and yeah, scoring seven goals in a week can't be bad for your confidence. So I don't know. Have I learned anything? Um, no, no, not really. But I'm excited to see how it goes.
1: I've got a question. Don't know okay. Either of you can, either of you can take this. Yeah, the ketchup's obviously banned at Spurs. So Harry Kane's been banned from ketchup and obviously bagged a few goals in the meantime. When, he, when he's away for England, you know, would he be sitting there and I don't know Jack Grealish is tucking into some ketchup, and he's not allowed it. Or when he's on England duty, would he would he have some? ketchup?
2: Absolutely guzzling ketchup. <laughs> right. just there, kind of, ripping the tops off sashes, squeezing what, it down.
1: do the, not there. The
2: thing, the thing with the ketchup. It's it's it sort of it's an easy sort of thing to to talk about because it sounds slightly ridiculous. So, so you know, a little splodge of ketchup. How 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 bad is that really? It's, it's basically there's two things there. So one is what sort of food do you have ketchup on? Like I wouldn't have thought like a footballer's diet was sort of ketchupy food. True. Like ketchup's for a bacon sandwich or for a burger. It's not it's not for like I don't know Chips. some sort of grilled meat and, and and vegetables, which I assume is what, or you know, grilled fish, which I assume is what footballers eat most of time. a pasta. I reckon so, fo- footballers love a bit of ketchup on pasta. I reckon there's some of
0: them that love
1: something weird like that ketchup on pasta. I'm with oh Jonathan. It actually doesn't make sense when you think about when you think about it. I, but, yeah.
2: al- but also, I think the ketchup is sort of symbolic of a of a you know of something much bigger, which is he you know he, he's he's very strict on diet. So you know um, there's a whole thing about he he wants players to have breakfast at the club because so he, he thinks breakfast is the most important meal, and he, he separates out the proteins and the carbohydrates uh, and, and encourage them to have, I can't remember what percentage it is, but you know, 45% protein, 55% carbohydrate or, or, or whatever it is. But you know, he thinks that balance of, and, and getting light protein in early is, is very good for you. He, he wants to eating these low calorie noodles, um, goji berries he's very big on. Um, so it, yeah, the ketchup is sort of, uh, emblematic of, of, of a series of, of small steps. And each individual one probably doesn't make that much difference, but it's when you amalgamate 10 or 20 of those, then it does you know, it, it does have an impact. So, you know, if you take off, I don't know, 5% extra body fat or whatever, and you do 20 minutes extra training a day, and you watch 20 minutes more videos of your position every day, all of that does build up to something a bit more
1: significant. Definitely going to be. I mean, there's going to be an improvement under Conta, isn't there? Because they were absolutely wretched under Nuna. Leeds then, Rafinha, how does he rank in terms of players outside the Big Six, Josh? i got to say, he's one of my favourite players in the Premier League. He's really, really exciting to watch.
0: Yeah, he's great to watch, isn't he? I think um, Tottenham are crying out for someone of his creativity at the moment because they've not had a shot on target in any of their last five halves of Premier League football, which is pretty pretty, pretty poor. But um, yeah, I guess last season it was Jack Grealish, wasn't it, who has probably had that made-up title of the best player outside of like the Big Six clubs. But I guess now that's sort of being battled between the likes of Rafinha, Declan Rice. Um we've actually uh, rated we've actually got the ratings of all the, the top rated players outside of those big six clubs. And the top three is Conor Gallagher in first, Declan Rice is second, and then Rafinha's joint third of Jared Bowen. Um but yeah, like you say, he's a great player, a great player to watch. And I think it's only a matter of time before he does move on. I was convinced that we'd see Pedro Neto join Liverpool, um Either the summer just got to the next one, but obviously he's injured now, and I think that might be Rafinha. He he's just he's just so exciting to watch, and Leeds haven't even played that well this season, and he's been their standout player. I think he scored just under half of their league goals this season. Um, but yeah, he's he's great, and I'm sure, like I said, that he'll he'll be playing for a bigger club. Not to say Leeds aren't a big club, but. Um, in this sort of modern modern time, I guess he'll be playing
1: for a much bigger club soon. I would have said he would have been a good fit for Tottenham, Jonathan, before Conte came in because it, his system doesn't really fit him in, I don't I don't think. But, you know, Son on the left, Rafinha on the right, Kane up front, that, that would have been a pretty good front throw.
2: I think that still could work. If you, if you think of Rafinha as sort of an inside forward in a, in a mm. 3-4-2-1, uh, I mean, I guess they've got Lucas mirror they've got the Celso can play there. So I don't think there's a great pressing need for him there. Um, but but yeah, he would naturally seem to fit there. But yeah, he's and I think one of the reasons he's maybe stood out this season is because Bamford isn't there. That that's pretty much all Leeds' creativity's had to come through him. And I don't think that's great for Leeds. I think I think they need Bamford back, or they need Dan James to yeah you know, to hit some some yeah you know, really high form, or or Joe Elhad to 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 come through and deliver more on that that, that potential. Uh, that I think everything going through through Rafinha is a little bit. Um, predictable at times.
1: Yeah, Leeds have been a funny one so far this season, Jonathan. It's, I it's can't injuries, really work though, it's injuries. Out. Is it just injuries?
2: Well, it, may, maybe not, but, you know, no Koch, no ailing, no Bamford you know, for this game. Rafinha missed sort of, three or four games early in the season. Uh, Cooper missed some games. Llorente missed some games. Uh, Firpo, the the um, the left-back they brought into a place, Alioski, he missed a load of games. So, I don't know. I think it's pretty difficult to 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 you know, but it's not a huge squad and if you if you're losing for half a dozen players for maybe a quarter or a third of your games, I think that does make things tough. And they're only actually three points worse off than they were at the same point last season. Okay. So I don't think it's um I think a lot of people had had expectations for them having finished ninth last season looked so good. But they did finish last season very, very strongly. And yeah, there's always that danger with so Bielsa that when things go wrong they, they can just drop off a cliff. But I, I don't think we're at that point yet. And I would think that by Christmas, they'll probably be slightly more comfortable in mid table. And particularly when they get Bamford back, although. I think that could probably be the end of uh, or beginning of December, but before mm. he's he's ready again.
1: Yeah, I think Cocky's going to be out for eternity. He has been out every single episode of this podcast because it makes me laugh every time I hear the phrase. And Jonathan, not happy, not happy with me.
2: Oh, I tell I me know about your fantasy league team.
1: team. No, no, no. I, I could tell you some about some stuff about Football Manager. Actually, me and the producer are doing some Football Manager live streams at the moment. If you want to, uh, if you oh, want yeah. to tune in, Jonathan, that sounds right <laughs> up your alley. No,
2: I mean watching other people play computer games. What could be better? <laughs> even
1: better? Especially when it's a glorified spreadsheet, that's even more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> have
2: we got have we got a bet builder, Josh. So we've gone um,
0: based off Kane finding a bit of form for England. We're backing him to score in this game. So he approaches. Uh, he scored in this game actually last season as well. So and with seven games, seven goals in two games with England, he should be a bit more happy, a bit more happy about himself this time around. Um, we've also gone for, as Jonathan said, the reliance on Rafinha in, in Bamford's absence. Uh, so we've gone for him to score as well. He scored in four of his last six appearances for Leeds. And someone, Dan, that you are not sure on at all is Emerson Royale. We've gone for him to be carded. Um, he's been booked 21 times in the league since the start of last season. Um, no player is averaging more tackles per game than him. And he, like, I remember watching being at the Villa game, and he just loved going to ground. So, uh, so yeah, we've gone for Kane to score, Rafinha to score, and Emerson to be booked. And Bet Victor boosted that to 28 to one.
1: It was that like the time that you took the who scored box space away from a, a Villa fan, Josh? Was it? Yeah. The Spurs thought, game. Was that, that, that game, was it? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought the
0: it game. might
1: have been. Yeah, it sounds sounds familiar. Spurs That's, Villa was a terrible game of football. I was the worst, man. one of the worst games that there's ever been in the history of football. Even though there were three goals, it was absolutely awful. I said something about Emerson Royale on social media recently and someone savagely attacked me that I know nothing about football because I said I didn't <laughs> think he was an upgrade on Aria in particular. You know, someone really did not take kindly to that and absolutely savagely attacked me on Twitter. <laughs> Let's finish then with our predictions. I in mine mind first. Tottenham 2 leads 1. There we go. Tottenham 2 leads 1. Oh. And Tottenham 2 leads 1. Oh. Jonathan, did you do a prediction that wasn't the same as who scored or the same as me throughout that whole show? I,
2: no, I don't think so.
1: Oh, dear. Keeping tabs of the main man. Who, who's the main man? Jonathan. Don't let oh. that one. I Don't know the he, like... he's, on the, he's on the bad run he hasn't had a good week for a while now yeah I'm due a good week yeah no, it probably happen this weekend that does us for this week's episode of Edge of the Box so wherever you do get your podcast, if you could subscribe and leave us a review do something nice that would be absolutely excellent we'll be back next week where hopefully I'm topping the predictions league have a good weekend and stay safe